Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Genesis 32. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to you, my Lord, that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am un unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray. From the, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Je Je Jebok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. 
Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Amen. Thank you, Wilma, for that reading. Hasn't she done a great job of hosting this morning for the very first time? Right, let's give her a round of applause. And a few microphone issues this morning. We all good? Excellent. Well, it's great to be back. I had a great time away, a really insightful trip to the UK, seeing some interesting and helpful expressions of mission uh, in a context that's meant to be a bit more post-Christian than what we are, but a context to which I think we're rapidly heading. So it was really good to... Um, see some of that and learn a whole bunch of stuff to see what people are trying in different places and in different ways and what's working. And next weekend, I'll share a little bit more of some of the key learnings from the trip. Um, I did post on the Facebook page, on the discipleship page this week, um, just a little thing with some photos and a blurb about some of the places we visited. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can have a look uh, anytime. Um, I am also grateful that I, when I was in England, um, Australia were winning the cricket. And by God's grace, I got out before they started losing. So, so that's really good. They weren't talking about cricket when I was there, but I'm sure they're talking about it a lot now. So it's good to have escaped just in time. Uh, while I've been gone, you've also appointed or voted in a new church administrator. And we're really excited about Marie Kaufman starting this week, uh, joining our team tomorrow. And so thanks for welcoming her with such open arms. Um, I called her this week and she said she's loved it so far and that you've looked after her really well. So thank you very much for that. Well, it's been four weekends that I've missed it follow. Um, this is the longest I've ever been away since we planted the church. So um, they say that absence causes the heart to grow fonder, and I think that's certainly true. Certainly missed all of you, and it's great to be back um, as a community. And I'm really looking forward to digging into Genesis chapter 32 today because we come to a really pivotal moment in the life of Jacob. And so it's important to try and get what we can learn from his story. And so the title of the message today is Wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. Now, one thing I've noticed over the years is that it's always good to go and have food and conversation with people in their homes. And it's always good to go and sit with people because when you sit with people in their homes, you actually learn a lot about them. You go deeper in your relationship and sometimes you learn some really surprising things. Uh, just before we went away, Kim and I and the kids had the privilege of being invited over to have afternoon tea with Tony and Margaret Ham, their new house in Pakenham. And so we went over there and there was a beautiful spread of food. That's what Jesus did, wasn't it? He'd always spread out food with his disciples. And so there was a great spread of food. And we had some great conversation. But there was something that Tony said, amongst many other things, that I found very surprising on the day. Uh, he revealed to me that he's a fan of WWE wrestling. Now, if you don't know Tony, he's, a, he's an older guy. He's in his 60s, I imagine. I don't like to guess ages, but I think he's probably in his 60s. And so when I think of Tony Ham uh, and I think of WWE wrestling fans, he doesn't kind of fit my stereotype. 
He's kind of uh, a bit older than the usual wrestling fans. He's not quite as big. He doesn't have as many tattoos. He's got all of his teeth, as far as I'm aware. And so he just doesn't fit the category for WWE wrestling fans that I had in my head. But he's a fan. Is there any other wrestling fans here today? Expecting some of the, yes, couple, couple. One, I've got one here. Rolly's a, a fan. So there's a few wrestling fans. I've got to put my cards on the table and say I'm not really a wrestling fan. I think it's nonsense myself, but maybe I'm just ignorant. Maybe I'm just ignorant about wrestling because I know wrestlers are referred to as athletes, but to me they seem just more like actors. Anyway, I'm not here to debate wrestling today, uh, but in the bits and pieces of wrestling that I have watched, I have noticed that anything goes when you're a wrestler. You can pull hair and you can punch and bite and push and you can jump up on the ropes and you can jump down and body slam people and it kind of reminds me of growing up with two brothers. It's kind of similar in our home. But it seems that the more outrageous things you do to your opponent, the wilder the crowd goes and the more popular you become. You can kick and punch and pull hair like we did with our brothers, but in our household our parents didn't really celebrate that kind of behaviour. I don't know what's wrong with their sense of adventure because the best wrestlers, they're celebrated for that kind of thing. Their posters go up on bedroom walls and they idolise, they get photos taken with them, there's autographs done and it's all very exciting. In our house, that wasn't celebrated. In fact, my mum was the finisher. So she would step into the ring with the wooden spoon and she would finish the wrestle that we would have. And I have no lasting effects from the wooden spoon. Uh, other than, you know, cowering in the corner when Kim stirs the pot with a wooden spoon or, uh, you know, involuntary face movements when someone, you know, there's footsteps behind me. But aside from that, there is no lasting scars at all. But wrestling is popular. It's popular even in Australia, maybe not so much here at Follow, but many people love their wrestling. But can you imagine tomorrow morning, if I was walking through the CBD of Melbourne, if I went up behind somebody and I nipple crippled them and then I jumped them and I threw them to the concrete and then I jumped up and I slammed them in the ribs with my elbows, do you think that particular move would be celebrated? Well, it might make it to the news. I may get an article in the paper on the front page, but I'd be unlikely to become anybody's hero or become a pin-up poster on someone's wall. In fact, I'd probably be charged with assault and I'd probably be stood down as your pastor. <laughs> and you might be a little bit disappointed with me and there'd be some people that would be quite angry about all of that, particularly the unassuming victim. And so what's the difference between me and a wrestler? Because we look kind of the same, right? Like we're both big and muscly and go to the gym a lot and all that sort of stuff. And so what's the difference between me and a wrestler? Well, the difference is context. It's the context in which the wrestle takes place. WWE happens within the ring and you can do whatever you like as long as you're in the ring. But once you step outside of the ring, different rules apply and there are consequences for our actions. When it comes to wrestling with God, I think of it in a similar kind of a way. I think when we wrestle with God, there's a good kind of a wrestling that we do in the ring of faith and we're ultimately trusting him, but there's a not-so-healthy kind of wrestling, and it depends on the context. You see, I think God invites us into a wrestle, and in today's story, we'll see that God is the one who initiates the wrestle with Jacob. And just as he did with Jacob, I think he also invites us to wrestle with him as well. He invites us to bring our fears, our doubts, our questions, even our heartbreak to him. But he wants us to do it within the realm of faith and within the context of community together. 
You see, there are many people that have wrestled over the years. And some people wrestle, but they do so by stepping out of the realm of faith. Their doubts and concerns transform into thinking that they would do a better job if they were God. And so they step outside of faith and they look back at God and they they judge God and they believe that maybe they could do a better job. I think this is where our society is headed in recent decades. We don't seem to need God anymore or his word to show us the truth because all truth is relative, right? We can come up with our own truth and we'll decide what is right and wrong in life. We don't need God. Society doesn't look to God for understanding of relationships or gender or marriage or life because ultimately we think that we can do life better ourselves. Today I want to encourage you to wrestle with God. But I want to encourage you to wrestle within the ring of faith, where we sharpen one another, where we bring our questions and our doubts and our fears, and we wrestle together with them, with one another, and ultimately with God. Because as we do that, we learn together to trust God with our lives. I love the Psalms, and particularly the Psalms of King David, because he's inspirational, isn't he, in his transparency and his vulnerability before God. He's not afraid to verbalize the things that are going through his mind and write down what he's really experiencing, expressing the the real depths of his emotion. And he's so incredibly honest with God. But one of the things I notice about David is that he always wrestles within the realm of faith. I think Psalm 13 is one of many examples, but it's a great example. I want you to listen to how honest David is with God. He says these words. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You don't get much more honest than that, do you? What we're reading there is David's feelings. They're not sugar-coated. He's not hiding how he really feels from God. He just lays it all out before God, his questions, his doubts, his concerns, And he lays it out before God with raw and refreshing honesty. But I want you to also notice how he finishes the psalm. Because I think this is really important. It's really important to come to God, to wrestle with God. But listen to how he finishes in verse 5. He says, but I trust. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So David wrestles, but he wrestles in the realm of faith, ultimately trusting that God is in control and that he cares, that he is kind all the time. Well, you don't even know the thing you've started. I mean, what's going on? God will be kind to you for forgetting. I think many Christians over the years have been scared to admit that they have doubts, doubts about faith, doubts about life. Doubts about all sorts of things, fears and struggles. And I think they've been scared to admit it because they've wrongly believed that it will somehow make them look like they don't have it all together. In fact, I think many have left the church and even faith because they look around a a Christian community and they just assume that, that everyone's all put together just right, that everyone's got it all together. 
that no one's got any issues in life, when the reality is that many of the very people they were looking at were struggling with very similar things, but perhaps just weren't transparent enough or brave enough to share it for fear of being judged. Let me say, this community should never be a place where we're afraid of being judged. This should always be a place where we feel comfortable to bring our fears and our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our doubts to one another. And we should find not judgment, but we should find a place of encouragement, a place of challenge, a place of support, and a place of unconditional love as we wrestle with one another and as we wrestle with God. Many Christian communities over the years have been the exact opposite to that. Christians have often been people to been known as people who fake it until they make it. In fact, I was in a sermon one time and someone said, you just got to fake it till you make it. It's pitiful advice. People ask, how are you? And we kind of smile and go, yeah, good. Marriage is falling apart. Stressed out of my brain. Feeling depressed. Life's a mess. Have doubts. But yeah, good. Everything's going good. Secure to lost again. <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for that. Can someone mute his microphone? <laughs> and we think as long as we smile, that we can convince the world that everything's okay and we have this plastic, fantastic superficiality about us, and I think there's a very dangerous place to be and a very unhealthy way to live. Because we may be able to fool other people, but we can't fool God. He knows everything about us. He knows how many hairs are on our head. King David, in Psalm 39, once again summarises this. He says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You see, God knows everything about us and he created us as intelligent, well, most of us, as intelligent, relational and emotional beings and he can cope with our questions. He can cope with our struggles. He can even cope with our doubts and he invites us to wrestle through the difficult things with him and with one another in Christian community. In today's passage, Jacob comes to a time in his own personal life where he has to confront his difficult past. And he's wrestling with all sorts of worries and concerns. In fact, he's fearing for his life. And he's not sure how it's all going to work out. He's in what I would call a dark place. And I think this makes him very, very, very relatable to us. Because I think most of us can think of at least one occasion in our lives where we've faced significant hurdles, big problems, Obstacles just seem, you know, just too big to overcome. If you fit into that category, you'll connect with this story and hopefully learn from Jacob's experience. And if you haven't yet experienced something difficult in life, you're probably not a human being. 
And so ask the person next to you just to pinch you, just to make sure that you're actually here this morning. Because if you are human and you haven't experienced any difficulty in your life, let me just say, and I don't need to be a prophet to predict this, your challenge is coming. (laughs) And so even you can learn something today that hopefully will equip you when that moment arrives. And so to understand more of Jacob's struggle and what he's going through, we need to re-look at his story and his background to see what led him to this moment in his life. If you're new here today, we are going through a series in the book of Genesis. This is part three of that series, and we've been exploring the lives of Isaac and Jacob, as well as Jacob's brother Esau, and we've learned that Jacob is cunning and deceitful. His name means usurper or deceiver. And in his life so far in the story, he has lived up to his name. He is Jacob by name and Jacob by nature. And on a couple of big occasions, it's been his brother who's been on the receiving end of his deception. In the first instance, he stole Esau's birthright. That was his priestly role in the family, which included a double portion of the family's inheritance. And to make matters even worse, years later, he then also stole his blessing. Both of these incidences caused immense problems in their family. They led to a loss of trust, a build-up of kind of resentment, and a total breakdown in their relationship. Scripture tells us that Esau held a grudge, and his grudge was so bad that it became deadly. He planned to kill Jacob. Now, luckily for Jacob, his mother Rebecca overheard Esau's plans and warned her favorite son Jacob, who then fled from home and moved to a place called Haran, where he found a new home with Rebecca's brother Laban. And so the last few weeks um, have covered what happened there in Haran. Basically, Jacob met his match in Laban, who was also a bit of a deceiver. And through circumstances, Jacob spent over 20 years of his life in Haran working for Laban. And in that time, he has a family of 11 sons and one daughter. Let's just stop and spare a moment for that one daughter. But eventually, Jacob gets restless. And he wants to return home again. And in verse 3 of chapter 31, the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And so at the start of chapter 32, where we're up to today, Jacob and the family finally set off for home. And really, this should be an exciting time. It should be a, a, a happy time in the family, returning home after years of being away. This is a prodigal son kind of a moment. Prodigal son has gone away. He's learnt some lessons and now he's coming back. He's going to see his parents for the first time in over 20 years. For two decades, his parents have never met his wives or their children. And in so many ways, there'd be a real sense of excitement and anticipation. I'm coming home, everyone. I'm coming home. So much has happened. I can't wait to share it. And so on one hand, he'd be so excited about returning home. But on the other hand, there's this issue of Esau. For Jacob, this is a massive issue. Last time he saw him, Esau wanted to kill him. And this is something that both of them no doubt have been wrestling with over and over again for the previous two decades. And so on the journey home, all Jacob can think about is what reception he'll get from his brother. He's consumed with worry. He's probably losing sleep and he's carrying this huge burden in his life. In verse 7 it says he has great fear and distress. And so to test the waters, he sends messengers off ahead of himself. And he instructs them. He says, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord. 
that I might find favour in your eyes. Verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. Yes, my brother's coming to meet you. Meet me. And 400 men are with him. Imagine this moment. If he was slightly concerned before, he definitely has great fear and distress now. Esau is on the way and he has 400 men with him. There's no indication of why he's coming or what intention he has. And I wonder if that's deliberate. Being an older brother myself, I wonder whether he's thinking, you know what, that little punk, he took my blessing, he took my birthright, now he can squirm for a bit because I'm on my way and I've got 400 mates with me. And so Jacob is freaking out. And whether Esau is coming for peace or revenge, we'll find that out next week. But either way, Jacob immediately assumes the worst. In verse 7, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. And the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group that is left may escape. Verse 9, then Jacob prayed. Isn't it a shame that prayer is often the last thing we do? We try everything else first and when all else fails, we think strike, we better pray. In a few weeks, we're going to start a series through the values of follow. And one of the values you'll find on our website is about prayer. And this is how it reads. It says, we will be a church where prayer is instinctive. Prayer is our default position. Prayer comes naturally. Prayer is powerful. We believe in persistent prayer. We will pray and pray and pray again. We believe in a God who is always speaking and listening to act according to his will and for his glory. And it sounds amazing, partly because I helped write it but partly because it's just amazing. But I wonder if it's more aspirational than it is reality right now. I think if this was reality, our 10 a.m. prayer meetings in the corner before the services would be overflowing. I think our monthly prayer gatherings would be full to the brim of people gathering to pray, to press into God, believing for his miraculous power to be at work in and through us in this community. And perhaps this morning it's a challenge for all of us to ask God to help prayer to become more instinctive in our lives. For Jacob, the practicalities came before the prayer. And in my own life, I must confess it's often the same. I wonder if my prayer more often came before the practicalities, whether the practicalities would be more productive. Let me say that again. I wonder sometimes if the prayer came before the practicalities, whether the practicalities would actually be more productive. Seems Jacob's motto in life is when all else fails, pray. And when we look at Jacob's prayer, it starts off as a really desperate one. Listen to how it begins in verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. In other words, Lord, can I just remind you that Esau's on his way and he has 400 men. And can I just remind you also that this was your idea to come home. Help me. Help me now. Lord, I need your help in this situation. So it starts really as a prayer of desperation. But as you observe the prayer, you'll also notice that as he prays, it goes from desperation to praise, and then it goes from praise to promise. In verse 10, he goes from desperation to praise. He says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. 
I only had a staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. In verse 11, he diverts back to fear. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he'll come back and attack me and also the mothers and their children. But in verse 12, he ends up at promise. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. This is one of the most powerful things about prayer, that before anything changes, everything changes. Before anything changes, everything changes. This is what happened to Jacob. He goes into prayer overwhelmed, but comes out of praying, standing on the promises of God. He goes in feeling overwhelmed, and he comes out knowing exactly what to do. He's ready to face Esau. And so after praying, he decides to send off a gift to his brother. We can read about that in verses 13 to 21. And in verse 19, he explains what the purpose of that gift was. It was to pacify Esau so that hopefully Esau would receive him rather than kill him. And so he sends off these messengers ahead of him, but he himself remains behind in the camp. And in verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. In the midst of the crisis he's facing in his life, he finds himself alone with his thoughts and with his troubles. And it's there in the solitude and the silence that he encounters God. It's one of the things I love about God, is that even in the hardest moments of life, we can know, we're not guaranteed we won't go through difficult times, but we're guaranteed that we'll never go through them alone. Even in the most difficult times of life, God is with us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And for Jacob, in that place of vulnerability, that time of desperation, we come to one of the most transformational moments for any character in Scripture as Jacob wrestles with God. In fact, most scholars agree that this is one of those moments in the Old Testament that we see the pre-incarnate Christ. And if that is true, and I believe it is, this is Jacob wrestling with Jesus. And I think that's interesting because Scripture teaches that God's people are the body of Christ. And this is why I think it's so important to wrestle within the context of Christian community because we wrestle with the body together with Jesus as our head, guiding us through whatever we're going through in life. And so today I want to finish by just focusing on this wrestle part of the narrative with three very brief points of application from Jacob's wrestle with God. The first one is this, that we should be people that embrace the wrestle. You'll notice in the passage that it was God who engaged Jacob rather than Jacob who initiated the wrestle with God. In verse 24 it says, So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Don't believe for a second that God doesn't want you to wrestle with him or that he can't cope with your doubts or fears or the circumstances of your life because he invites you into the wrestle. In fact, it's so often him who initiates it. In Matthew chapter 4, we see this in Jesus' life, in the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. The most intriguing verse for me in that whole account is the first one. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's, it's, It's incredible. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was walking into one of the greatest tests he ever faced in his earthly life to be tempted by Satan himself after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights when he was hungry and tired and it was the Spirit of God who led him there. That's extraordinary. In that experience, immediately after his baptism, at the commencement of his public ministry, Jesus was subjected to incredible temptations. Temptations of provision, power, and prestige. And yet it wasn't the greatest temptation he faced in his life. That came much later at the end of his earthly ministry, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was tempted to opt out of his sacrificial death on the cross for an easier way. You see, what the Spirit led him to in the wilderness prepared him for what he would have to face in the future. And what Jesus learned in the wilderness equipped him for what he faced in the biggest crisis of his life. And so this morning, if you feel like God has you wrestling right now and you don't understand it all yet, you may have a whole lot of questions. You might have more questions than answers. You may feel like you're in a spiritual wilderness You might not understand why you're going through the difficulties you're facing in life. Well, I want to encourage you today to take comfort in this, that what God is shaping you in the midst of the wrestle in the present time is preparing you for what he has for you in the future. Jacob was becoming Israel. And so embrace the wrestle. Because as you wrestle with God, you'll come to a greater understanding of him as you learn to trust him in the wrestle within the context of faith, that will prepare you for the things he has for your future. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so embrace the wrestle, but as you embrace the wrestle, whatever you do, don't give up. And that's the second point, don't give up. Jacob never gave up. If you look at verse 24, it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We see that Jacob was very determined in his wrestle with God that he would not give up. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with someone physically, but if you do it even for a couple of minutes, it's exhausting. Jacob did it all night. And wrestling with the issues of life and faith is just as exhausting from a mental and spiritual point of view, but we can learn from Jacob a lesson on perseverance and determination because he refused to give up. Even after God touched the socket of his hip and he was wounded, we'll be wounded in life, won't we? Things will happen. Things won't go our way. People will let us down. We'll be wounded at different times. But even when he was wounded, he still would not let go. He still declares that he won't let go until he is blessed. You'll notice that it's actually God who ends up suggesting that they stop because it's daybreak. And even then, Jacob declares that he still won't let go. There's this doggedness in his life. There's this inner fortitude. There's this deep determination that even in the struggle of wrestling with God, he was going to persevere until he came out the other side with the blessing of knowing God in a deeper way. And so embrace the wrestle, but don't give up when it gets tough. So I was praying through this part of the message. God laid on my heart particularly young people, young people who right now are in school or university. Because I think back to when I was young, I've got a very good memory. And I think all the way back there, and I can remember how hard it was being in a public school system surrounded by people who didn't believe, 
who ridiculed my faith and who, who lived a very different way that I did. And I remember back then that it was so difficult that there were times where I felt like giving up. There were times where it just got so incredibly tough with all sorts of temptations and peer pressures and I definitely didn't always get it right. But by the grace of God, he brought me through the wrestle stronger than I've been before and he can do the same for you. So whether you're a young person in a school or an older person in a workplace or someone who's struggling in your family unit or in your friendship circle to live for Jesus, I want to encourage you today, don't give up because God is shaping stuff in your life in the midst of it all. Hold on to God. Sometimes the blessing is right around the corner and people give up just before the blessing comes. Jacob wrestled his way through the darkness and it's always the darkest just before the dawn. But it wasn't until daybreak that he saw the breakthrough happen because he kept wrestling even when it was difficult. Every tunnel has a light at the end of it. So don't miss it. Make a determination in your heart today that you will trust God and persevere even when you don't understand even when circumstances break your heart, even when the wrestle gets hard. Surround yourself with people who can challenge you, encourage you in your faith. Stay connected with Christian friends because the wrestle changes us. Most of us want to continue to experience the transformational power of God in our lives. And this is the thing about wrestling with God. It may seem like exhausting work at times, but it changes us because you can't wrestle someone from a distance. To wrestle with God, it requires us to draw close, to come back to God's Word, to be open with Him, to press in through prayer. And as we draw close to God, He promises that He draws close to us, and when we're close to God, our lives can't help but be transformed. And so allow God to change you. And that's the third and final point this morning. Allow God to change you in the wrestle. The wrestle changed Jacob forever. In verse 26, Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. But the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the deceiver. I'm the usurper. He's owning his past. He's acknowledging he's fallen short of the potential on his life. And he's facing God in all of his vulnerability and weakness and saying, this is who I am. But then the man said, then God answered, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. A few years ago, I went through a very difficult time in life. I've shared it with you uh, several times before, but it was one of the hardest times that we've faced in life. I just left a ministry position, and the way we were treated after I resigned was kind of unfathomable for us. It was hurtful and painful, and I came out of that time feeling absolutely crushed. There was times when I would lie on the couch or in bed, and I literally couldn't breathe. I've never had anything like that happen before. Never had anything like that happen since. I feel like I'm a fairly strong sort of a person in all sorts of circumstances, but something happened in that situation that really crushed me. I found myself stripped back, vulnerable, and questioning every part of my life and even my faith. I was wrestling with God, or perhaps God was wrestling with me. 
I had so many questions. God, are you even real? And if you are real, then are you for real? How could this happen? How could we be let down so badly by people we trusted? How could we be hurt so deeply by professing Christians? It was so confusing. And full disclosure, I came close to giving up. Certainly came close to giving up on ministry. Maybe even giving up on faith. As I poured my heart out to God through tears and pain in that season, something changed in me. God used that awful experience to grow my faith, to shape my character, to confirm my calling and to break me so that he could put me back together, a changed person. It brought me to a greater depth of gospel application through forgiveness, repentance, reflection, reconciliation and trust. I came out the other side as a new person, but as a person with a limp, a scar, a reference point in my faith that has shaped my life and has very much impacted the shape of follow in some really significant ways. I'm still on a constant journey of self-awareness, and I realize I've come a long way, but I've got a long way to go, and I imagine you're the same. And so I want to encourage you today as we close to embrace the wrestle. Embrace the wrestle. Don't give up when it gets tough. But allow God to continue to change you from the inside out to become more and more like Jesus. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, it's a, it's a hard one. It's a confusing one in some ways, but it's such a powerful one. We thank you, Lord, for the life of Jacob. Lord, we see the mistakes he made the deceit that he had in his life for so much of his life, and yet no matter what he'd been through, no matter what mistakes he's made, it wasn't too late. And one encounter with you changed everything. Lord, we thank you that we can have those encounters with you over and over again as we come to your word, as we meet you in prayer, as we share our thoughts and our struggles with you. We thank you, Lord, that in the vulnerability and the brokenness, you bring wholeness and life in a way that we could never imagine. So, Lord, I just pray that each of us here today will consider our own lives and perhaps there's people here today that are wrestling with stuff and you've got questions and you've got doubts and you've got hurt in your heart and there's pain and brokenness. Today I want to encourage you, press into God, but press in in the realm of faith where you can journey with other people that will encourage you and help you as you follow Jesus. Lord, we want to become more like you. We Acknowledge we need the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask today that you'd fill us afresh and shape us and mold us in our character and in our lives to become more like you. I want to pray for anyone here today that's never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've never come to know you in a personal relationship. Lord, we thank you for what you did for us at the cross, that you paid the price for us so that we can come to you Accept what you did for us at the cross and have our sins forgiven as we've sung today. And so I pray particularly for any person in this room that's not in a relationship with you, that today you would speak to their heart so they'd come to know you in a real way and that they would experience your presence with them no matter what they go through in life. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed this morning, don't do this every week, only when God puts it on my heart. I wasn't even planning on doing it today. But I really just want to ask if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just to lift your hand and say, Luke, today I want to follow Jesus. 
I want to accept what he did for me on the cross because I know he can forgive my sins and I want to start a new journey with him in life. And so I want to give that opportunity right now. If there's anybody here that wants to make that step for the first time, it's the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. It won't mean that life will be easy, but it's a guarantee that God's always with you and that your future is secure in him and that's a wonderful hope to have in a world that's often so difficult. So I'm going to ask one more time. God's speaking to you right now about putting your faith in Christ for the first time. I want to invite you just to lift your hand and say, Luke, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'd just love to pray for you at the end of the service. So is there anybody here this morning? I trust everyone here is in a relationship with Jesus. But if you're not and you're just a bit too timid to lift your hand, I'd love to speak with you after the service and pray with you and talk about what it would look like to get started on this journey. So thank you, Lord, for today. And as we finish this service by praising and worshipping you, Lord, help us to do it with passion and vibrancy and with all of our heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.